Well, thank you, Doug. Uh, we kind of flipped a coin to see who had to read that and who had to preach it. I think Doug got the harder job, okay? <laughs> uh, well, good morning, Merry Christmas. You always know Christmas time is in full swing when Star 1045 starts calling itself the Christmas station and those cheesy, dramatic Christmas movies are playing on every channel and ugly Christmas sweater uh, parties start showing up on your calendar, right? So thanks for joining in the fun. You all look awfully good today, okay? <laughs> uh, well, this last week we had our uh, monthly prayer night, and it was super fun. We got to sing some Christmas carols. Every prayer night is a great time, but this one was extra fun because it was extra Christmassy. And before we got started singing and praying, I got to catch up with a friend of mine who just got back from a trip to Europe with her husband. And she said it was incredible. She got to see amazing sights and historic places. It was an awesome trip. But she said it just felt good to be home. Have you ever experienced that? Man, last summer, I experienced something sort of like that. I have told you all, I got to go for about a week and a half on a trip to Rwanda to do some mission work. It's a beautiful country. It's a country that is uh, covered with red dirt mountains. You can't find anything like it around here. It's just beautiful. I got back and was here for about a day before my wife's parents took our whole family on a trip to Yellowstone National Park for vacation. And so we drove through South Dakota and Wyoming, saw more beautiful sights. Uh, mostly it was sandy dirt speckled with green little shrubs and huge boulders that dotted the landscape. And then after seeing all those beautiful places, we had to drive through Nebraska on the way back. <laughs> and I just found myself longing, right, for the fertile plains of Iowa again. Corn planted in rows, rich black soil, right? Have you ever just longed to be back where you come from? Well, I think in Matthew chapter 1, we're going to see that Jesus has a heart for where he came from too. But rather than a heart for the places he came from, though that exists, he has a heart for the people that he came from. That's where we're going to spend our time today, okay? So last week, Chuck told us Jesus has a royal lineage. Matthew 1.1 says Jesus was the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, Abraham was a guy who God made a promise to. He said, nations and kings will come from you. And then generations after Abraham, a guy named David partially fulfilled that promise when he became king. And as king, God made David another promise that said, one day, generations after you, somebody will come and sit on your throne and rule and reign forever. And Matthew is saying, Jesus is that son of Abraham. Jesus is that son of David. Jesus is that king. And there are 15 kings listed in, by Matthew in Jesus' genealogy. Jesus definitely has a royal lineage. But that does not mean that everything, everyone in his lineage was proper and right, like an English royal lineage, right? Uh, they didn't get it right either. But uh, it doesn't mean that everything was proper. In fact, we're going to see the opposite. His lineage was just a hot mess, person after person. He may have had a royal lineage, but it was also royally messed up, okay? They just kept 
messing up. And I, for one, appreciate that. Because it shows us that Jesus did not come from perfect people for perfect people. In fact, it's going to show us that Jesus, the people Jesus came from are the people Jesus came for. Okay, let that soak in just a little bit. Let it sink into your heart. Wrap your mind around that. This is what we're going to look at today. The people Jesus came from are the people Jesus came for. So let's start looking at uh, Jesus' family together. Matthew starts off his lineage with a line that runs from Abraham to David. So let me tell you just a few of the stories of those people. Uh, Abraham was a guy who twice passed off his wife as his sister and let other men pursue her. Now, God protected her during those times, but Abraham didn't. Then there was Jacob. He was a liar and a cheat who once dressed up as his older brother to trick his nearly blind father into giving him the blessing and inheritance that were rightfully his older brothers. And then there's Judah. Judah fathered twins with a woman named Tamar who was his daughter-in-law. Now, neither of them were totally innocent in that story. Uh, Tamar dressed up as a prostitute and seduced her father-in-law. That's not cool. But then he spent the night with her thinking she was a prostitute. That's not cool either. And so uh, the story goes on. We come to a gal named Rahab. Now, she didn't have to pretend to be a prostitute. She actually was one. It was who she was. But eventually, she did help her uh, she helped the nation of Israel conquer her city, and then she married an Israelite guy. And her son, Boaz, married a woman named Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite, and the Moabites traced their lineage back to a guy named Lot, who got his own daughter pregnant. And that kind of thing tracked through the Moabite uh, people, and they were known for sexual immorality and promiscuity and other really crazy things like making human sacrifices to their false god Chemosh okay royally messed up and then Ruth uh, uh, ended up marrying a guy named Boaz and their grandson David became king and David had multiple wives but still decided that he was going to pursue an adulterous affair with the wife of one of his best friends and after that happened, he tried to cover it up, and when the cover-up failed, he arranged for his best friend to die on the front lines of battle. Long story short, the lineage of Jesus Christ is royally messed up. They just kept messing up. We see prostitution, adultery, polygamy, incest, and deception. If we were to summarize that, we might say they were immoral they're immoral. If you do a quick Google search, immoral, according to Google, means not conforming to accept, accepted standards of morality. They just couldn't conform. This is who they were. They wanted to follow God with their lives, but they just couldn't meet his standard. They couldn't hit the goal. They couldn't be good. As a people, they just kept messing up. Though they wanted to follow God, their lives were a mashup of cool stories of faith and sad stories of sin. Jesus came from messed up, immoral people. So this morning, I would ask you, can you relate to that? 
Can you relate to a people who have a desire to follow God with their lives? They want to do that. They even try to do that. But that desire is just coupled with a real inability to do it. I want to, I just can't. Have you ever felt like that? Can you relate to that? It's okay to be honest this morning. Have you ever sat in a room like this or maybe in this very room and thought something like, I know I'm not where I should be with Jesus. I know that. I'd like to be somewhere else. I want to be somewhere else. Just try as I might. I cannot get there. Maybe you just keep looking at those images on that screen and you carry the burden of guilt and shame with you because of it. Or maybe you keep lying at work to get that extra commission and you'd like to stop but you just don't know how you would i don't know what it is for you maybe for the thousandth time you've made a promise to god and yourself i will never do that thing again but then you do you ever felt the struggle felt like try as i might i just can't stop messing up and if that's you matthew's got good news for you today Jesus came from immoral people, and he came for immoral people, okay? This is Matthew's own story, the guy who wrote this genealogy of Jesus. He was a tax collector, and in his days, that meant that he earned his living by lying, stealing, and cheating. What he would do is collect more money than the government demanded, and he would skim all that extra money off the top and keep it for himself. He lied, and he cheated, and he stole. And one day, Jesus was on a walk, and he walked past Matthew while he was sitting in his tax booth. And he saw Matthew in the headquarters of his immorality. While he was lying and cheating and stealing, Jesus saw him, and he extended this invitation follow me. Matthew invited, or Jesus invited an immoral, lying cheat into his inner circle. And miraculously, Matthew got up and followed him. And so later on, the Bible says that Jesus had dinner at Matthew's house. And when he had dinner, Matthew had his friends over who also were tax collectors and sinners. And the religious leaders of that day looked at what Jesus was doing, where he was, who he was hanging out with, and they started asking questions. Jesus, why would you eat with the likes of them? Why would you hang out with lying, stealing, cheating, immoral mess-ups? You shouldn't eat with those people, Jesus. What are you doing? And Jesus heard those questions, and he gave them an answer. This is what Jesus said. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick do. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. See, like, Jesus didn't come for the people who had it all figured out. Jesus came for the people who are messed up. It shows us that at its heart, Christianity is not a self-improvement plan. It's not look at Jesus and follow these 12 steps to become a better person. It's not a self-improvement plan. Rather than a self-improvement plan, Christianity is a rescue plan. It's God's plan to rescue sinners, immoral people like you and me, from ourselves. The rescue plan looks like this. 
since we cannot be good on our own, we are lost and trapped and stuck in our sin, unable to get out on our own. Since that was the case, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be good for us. Jesus never messed up. He never sinned. He never missed a standard. He did everything that we could not do. And now that good Jesus calls sinners like Matthew and sinners like you and me to follow him. And if we answer that call, if we follow Jesus, he promises to give his goodness to us. What we could not give on our own, Jesus grants, he gifts, he gives his goodness to people like you and me. Jesus came to rescue us from the sin that we could not escape without him. Christianity is God's rescue plan for sinners like me and you. See, like, it is good news that the people Jesus came from are the people Jesus came for immoral mess-ups like us. Amen? Now, I wouldn't feel right moving on from this kind of section of Jesus' genealogy without mentioning the women who Matthew includes in the list. There are four of them, okay? The first is Tamar. She made the list because of injustice and incest. Then there's Rahab. She made the list because of prostitution. Then there's Ruth. She made the list because she came from a people known for sexual immorality. And though she was generally a really honorable woman, that legacy would have followed and labeled her unfairly. And then there was a fourth woman, the wife of Uriah. Her name was Bathsheba. She was the object of King David's peeping Tom activity. And then when he pursued an adulterous relationship with her, because of his position and authority as king, there's no way she could have denied it. Four women, four stories of abuse, four lives marked by the injustice and immorality, the abuse that they had had to endure. Yet Matthew included them in Jesus' story. My question this morning is why? Why would he do that? Would it not be easier to just leave the past in the past? Leave the dirty stories behind? Why include these women in Jesus' story? Why? I think the answer i think these women's stories are included in the list to highlight the truth that the people jesus came from are the people jesus came for see the savior king of the world he didn't just come for the immoral men like the ones in his past he came for the women who suffered abuse at their hands like the women in his past jesus didn't sweep those women aside in his history and he doesn't sweep them aside in his ministry they matter I want to show it to you in the Bible. You see, in John chapter 4, Jesus was talking to a woman at a well, and she had been divorced five times, and as Jesus spoke to her, she was with a man who was not her husband. Both of those things would have been reasons that Jesus could have avoided her or ignored her or rejected her, but he didn't do any of that. Instead, Jesus chose her, her that he was the savior that she and her people had been longing for. She got to hear the good news of the coming savior straight from the savior's mouth. 
He chose to tell her. Her community may have despised her and rejected her and left her out, but when Jesus showed up, she was the first one to hear, and she was the one that got to tell everyone else. Jesus didn't reject her because Jesus came for her. And because he came for her, he invited her into his story and empowered her to live on his mission. The people Jesus came from are the people Jesus came for. Again, in John chapter 8, we see Jesus is at the temple, and there were a bunch of religious leaders and men who had dragged into the temple a woman who'd been caught in adultery. The man who was involved is never mentioned. He's not in the story at all, but the woman is there, and she's thrown in the middle of an angry mob of religious guys who start picking up stones to execute a hasty death sentence. And in the middle of all that commotion, somebody spots Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, what do you think we should do? Jesus slows things down for a minute. He looks down at the ground, and he lifts his head, and he gives him an answer, and this is what he says. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Now listen, none of those men could have thrown a stone under those conditions. No matter how religious they were, they were just as sinful and immoral as the woman who they'd caught. The only one who could have condemned that woman was Jesus himself, but he didn't. He did not condemn her because he came for her. Rather than condemning her, Jesus protected her. He literally saved her life. Friends, the people Jesus came from are the people he came for. And Jesus came from women who suffered because of sexual immorality and abuse. He came for the women who were in his path. If that's you, I want you to hear this truth right now. Jesus sees you and Jesus loves you. He sees you and he loves you. He doesn't ignore you or forget you or reject you. Listen, before the hashtag MeToo movement ever highlighted the reality that women who are victims of abuse have value and worth and a voice, Jesus was already living into that reality. He was already there. He's always been there. He saw those women, spoke to them, protected them, loved them, chose them, invited them into his story, and empowered them to live on his mission. And so I just want to tell you today, while we're here, if you've been a victim of abuse like the women in Jesus' story, please don't suffer alone in silence. Please don't buy the lie that what you have endured disqualifies you from Jesus' love. Jesus loves you, and we do too. And so I want to tell you right now, if that's you, if that's your story, if somebody close to you has a story like that, and it's touched you there are people in our church who would love to pray for you and walk with you and care for you. Uh, after, the, after this is done, we'll take communion and then we'll sing. And there will be people in the back of the room who would love to pray with you. Can I just encourage you? Don't suffer alone in silence. Would you step back there? There will be some women back there. Tell your story. Let them care for you and love you. Jesus loves you. We do too and we want you to know. Okay? The people Jesus came from are the people Jesus came for, and that's good news for all of us. Amen? Uh, so, we see first 
that Jesus came from immoral people, for immoral people, but the line continues. And in the next section of Jesus' lineage, we're going to see a bunch of kings. There are 15 of them in all. Some of them are good kings, but others are royally messed up. Okay, let me tell you a few of their stories. The first is David. We've talked a little bit about him. He was an adulterous murderer. Then comes Solomon, who had nearly a thousand wives and concubines. Then there was Rehoboam. He disciplined his people with scorpions. Then there's Uzziah, who refused to take down the idolatrous high places in the country, and so God struck him with leprosy. Then there's Ahaz, who sacrificed his own son to a false foreign god, and then he took the treasure from the temple of God and sent it as a gift to a foreign king. Then there's Manasseh, who also sacrificed his son to a false foreign god, and he consulted uh, fortune tellers instead of the living god that he was supposed to serve. And then there was Amos, who was Manasseh's son, and the Bible said he was just as bad as his dad. Now the way that the Bible describes uh, Amos, I think is kind of a summary statement for the way that all these kings went wrong. Kind of summarizes how these kings went astray. So I want to read it to you. This is what the Bible says about Amos. He abandoned the Lord, the God of his fathers, and did not walk in the way of the Lord. He abandoned God and did not walk in his ways. These bad kings abandoned their king and refused to follow him. Though they ruled over God's people, under God's authority, on the throne that God himself had established, they refused to walk in God's way and depend on him. Instead, they chose their own way. They chose independence from God rather than dependence on God. Jesus came from people who wanted to live independently, who wanted to live without without God. Jesus came for independent people too. So let me tell you a story about Jesus' life and ministry. Matthew says that Jesus got to talk to this rich young man. This rich young man had heard about what Jesus was doing and who he was. He'd heard that Jesus had an offer of eternal life on the table. And so this rich young man got an opportunity to talk to Jesus and he asked him a question, how do I get eternal life? And so Jesus responds really succinctly, keep my command. The rich young man presses in, digs deeper, and says, which commands, Jesus? And Jesus lists several of them, including love your neighbor as yourself. And this rich young man starts feeling pretty good. He's saying, I think I got this eternal life thing in the bag. I've been pretty obedient. So he responds to Jesus with one last statement, just making sure that the deal is sealed. He says, Jesus, I've done all those things. Is there anything else? And that was a dangerous question. Because once he'd asked, is there anything else, Jesus took the opportunity to tap into his heart. The Bible says, Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. When the rich young man asked if there was anything else, I think what he was really asking is, have I followed God enough yet? Have I kept enough laws? Have I satisfied enough requirements? Have I followed enough rules? Jesus, could you just give me some assurance that it's okay to check this box and move on? 
Do I have eternal life secured so that now I can live the way that I want to live and not have to do all this anymore? Have I done enough for you? That's what the kings in Jesus' lineage thought that they'd done. They came from the right family. They wore the right robes. They sat on the right throne. They checked a lot of the right boxes, but they didn't follow God. Their hearts desired independence from him, and that seems to be what this rich young man wanted too. So he asked, is there anything else? Can I live on my own yet? And Jesus' answer was not what he wanted to hear. Jesus told the rich young man, look, assurance of eternal life doesn't come by checking the right boxes on your own. Assurance of eternal life comes by following. It doesn't come by living independently from God. It comes by living dependently on God. See, at its heart, Jesus' call to this young man wasn't simply a call to poverty. It was a call to exchange the treasure that kept him from depending on Jesus to get a greater treasure that can only be found by depending on Jesus. The call was, would you give up all of these things that can't really give you life to get the only thing that can give you life, life eternal life with the God who loves you, life with the God who cares for you, life with the God who created you, life with the God you can depend on. Friends, let me ask you, where are you living independently from God? What treasure are you gripping tighter than you are gripping Jesus, the greatest treasure? Uh, Maybe for some of you, it's the same thing as the rich young man. It's your finances. You find security in your savings account, so that makes it impossible for you to follow Jesus' call to live a generous life. That's independence from God, not dependence on him. Or maybe it's your reputation. It feels okay if people know that Jesus matters to you, but it doesn't feel okay if you have to tell other people that Jesus should matter to them. Your fear of how they might respond, of rejection that might come, keeps you from following Jesus' call to make disciples. That's living independent from God, not dependent on him. Or maybe you're like the kings in Jesus' lineage who just desired to live independent and without uh, without God altogether. If that's you, I want to tell you that Jesus' call to follow him is not a call to give up control of your life so that he can rule over you like a tyrant. That's a misconception of the gospel. That's not the king that Jesus is. Jesus' call is to follow him so that he can lead you into eternal life. He can lead you into life with your creator. He can lead you into the only love that will never let you down. He can lead you into a treasure that lasts for eternity. Friends, can I make that invitation to you now? If you've tried to live independent from God, if there's been something that you've been holding on to tighter, so tightly that you can't let it go to grab onto Jesus, would you give up that thing so that you can follow Jesus now? Follow him as he leads you, and he will give eternal life. He keeps his promises. This is the good news of the gospel, friends. Jesus came from independent people for independent people like us, okay? So Jesus came from immoral people, and Jesus came from independent people. There's just one last group on the list. 
after the list of kings, Matthew reminds us that the nation of Israel got conquered and its people got deported to a foreign land. And after a generation of living in exile, uh, they, a few of those people got to return home to God's promised land, to the land of Israel. But by that time, Israel had uh, become a conquered nation without a throne. And as the nation of Israel descended from power into obscurity, so did Jesus' lineage. And so in this third kind of wave of Jesus' genealogy, nine of the men in the list are never mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. God's word says nothing else about them. We have no record of their story, of what they celebrated, of what they suffered. There's just nothing there. All we know is that they were inheritors of a throne that did not exist. It'd kind of be like winning a first-class ticket on a Southwest flight, right? It sounds cool, but on those planes, all the seats are the same. First class doesn't matter. Well, they, these guys inherited a throne over a people that could not have a king. They had to live under foreign rulers just like everybody else. They were insignificant. Jesus came from insignificant people. And so I just ask you today one more question. Have you ever felt insignificant? Like maybe at your job, somebody gets up on stage with a nice full beard and you have to follow him and all you got is a little patch under here. <laughs> Am I looking significant? <laughs> or, or... <laughs> maybe you dreamed your life would be different than it is. Maybe you dreamed about having a bigger impact on the world, a better career. Maybe you dreamed about having a spouse or a family. Maybe you dreamed about having higher numbers on your paycheck or a bigger house and a better neighborhood, a nicer car, a story without so much embarrassment or shame. Maybe you dreamed about wearing an uglier Christmas sweater today. Uh, Man, I think some of us feel really insignificant. And if you feel insignificant, if you feel like you don't really matter, like you're just a placeholder in the story, like nobody would miss you if you were gone, I want you to hear this. Jesus came for you. He came from insignificant people for insignificant people. In the Bible, Jesus tells a parable about two guys who went to pray. One of them prayed and thanked God that he wasn't a bad man and thanked him uh, thank God that, he, that this man had done all these great things. In his mind, he was a significant person. And then the second man who prayed, prayed simply, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That second guy didn't have anything to brag about. No accomplishments, no accolades, no significance, just a simple plea for mercy. And Jesus said at the end of that parable that it was the second guy who walked away justified. It was the second guy whose prayer got answered. It was the second guy who got the mercy that he had asked for. It was the humble guy. It was the insignificant guy. And so I want to tell you today, if you feel insignificant, Jesus doesn't look at your resume before he listens to your prayer. You don't have to hit a certain number of Facebook friends or Instagram followers before he will friend you back. Jesus' love, as Brooks and Dunn would say, isn't just for high achievers, okay? Jesus was not born the son of a king in a castle. He was born the son of a carpenter in a barn. 
Jesus came from insignificant people for insignificant people. And so if you feel insignificant this morning, take heart. Jesus came for you. His gospel, his love, his mercy, his grace, he came to give to you. Jesus came from insignificant people for insignificant people. City Light, this morning, I just want to encourage you. The people Jesus came from are the people Jesus came for. He may have had a royal lineage, but it was royally messed up. And so if you've ever felt, if you've ever been immoral, if you've ever felt or you've ever been independent, if you've ever felt or you've ever been insignificant, today know the truth. Jesus came for people like you and like me. The people Jesus came from are the people Jesus came for. That's good news. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, God, I thank you for a list of really hard names to say at the beginning of Matthew. I thank you for that because it's a story. It's your story. It's the story that you didn't come from perfect people for perfect people. And your gospel isn't a gospel that we have to get it all right before we get you. Man, Jesus, I prayed this week. I just, I've been convicted. I am the immoral people. And I know there are people in this room who are in the same boat. And so Jesus, would you call us today as a people? Would you give us your goodness? Would you make us good by your goodness? As I prayed, I am the independent person, the one whose default is to try to live without you, not to try to depend on you. People in this room who've lived that way, who are living that way right now, oh Jesus, would you send your spirit to convict us and call us with the follow me calling. And Jesus, would you give us the grace to turn to you, to find a greater treasure, the only one that lasts forever. And Jesus, my heart as I've prayed just swells the most for people who feel insignificant, who feel like, man, I'm never seen, I'm never heard. If I wasn't here, nobody cares. Does this matter at all? Do I matter? And Jesus, for those people, that's been me that's still me god would you convince us today that you came not to forget us not to look at our achievements before you would accept us but you came for us just as we are oh god significance is not found in what we achieve in this world by our own might and the only significance that will ever last was accomplished by jesus christ on the cross and if you invite us into your story it's the only place we'll ever find Call us there today. Oh, Jesus, you are good. Thank you that you came from messed up people for messed up people like us. It's good news. Jesus, we, we celebrate you and we give you all the praise. And we pray all this in Jesus.